0: This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is the Word of God. Thanks be to God.
1: Father in heaven, we come before you this afternoon and we thank you that you have called us into your presence. Father, not only have you called us, but you have made it possible for us to come by sending your son Jesus. Lord Jesus, You have entered into the throne room of heaven. You have said that we can come in Your name to seek the grace and the mercy to help us in our time of need. Father, You are not satisfied with us knowing about You. Time and time again in this service already, we have proclaimed that what You want is for us to know You. And not to know you from afar, but from near. Father, you have said that the gift of Zion is the fear of the Lord. And that you will, with all of your heart and soul, put the fear of the Lord into our hearts and our soul. That we may draw near to you. Father, I confess to You that the things I am afraid of, the things that I fear, create distance. Father, my sin creates distance. Conflict in my life creates distance. My ignorance and my willful Turning away creates distance. And Father, we know that to be true for all of us. And we are shocked and amazed that again you draw near to us. Father, even as we have already prayed, we do continue to pray that you would search us and that you would know us. Father, as we have sung and heard sung to us, we confess before you our hearts need a surgeon. Our souls need a friend. And Lord Jesus, you are the one who proclaimed that we are your friends if we do what you command. And there again, we're stopped. Because we know our choices. And we know our failures. And we know our anger. Father, we praise You that You have said that we can come before You and that You will search us and that You do know us and that You will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, that hope that not only our tears will be wiped away one day, but the unrighteousness of our own hearts that mars the very depth of us will also be wiped away is so exciting. And so now I pray that as we gather together, In the context of your commands, in the context of your requirements that we love in the way that Christ loved, we ask you, show us Jesus. That to a woman and a man in this room, created in your image, we would become more like him in glory with weightiness in our lives, and we would be changed. Father, I pray this for myself. I pray that even as I preach, I would be changed. And I pray this for my sisters and my brothers. I pray this for the women and the men who have found their way in here and who have yet to know that you have found them. Draw near to us. Draw us near to you and change us. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Well, Nathan was explaining to somebody this weekend at Presbytery that we're finishing up three years in the book of John. And uh, it is true. Now, if you're visiting, know that it hasn't been three straight years as much as it has been three years every spring. Mita and I were laughing because we remembered hearing Rick Downs, who was our pastor in college. He taught through the book of Luke and did it for three years. Now, I mean, all I heard in church for three years was from the book of Luke. And so we are finishing up the Gospel of John to this week and next week, uh, the end of three seasons, three springs in Uh, this Gospel of John. I hope you've enjoyed it. Nathan flew over uh, the purpose statement of John last week in chapter 20. Remember it says, and we have referenced it so many times, now Jesus did many signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That is the purpose statement of the book of John. If you want to know what the book of John is about, that's the purpose. That's what you go to. So everything you read, you come back and you compare it to that and say, how did what I just read help that come to pass in my life? That's the book of John in a nutshell. Here's the problem with us. In a nutshell, we take theology and we say we know it, we believe it, and we recite it, but oftentimes it takes events of sorrow and sadness, even events of joy to take the knowledge from our heads and bring it to life in our hearts. Because John didn't say we just want to know about Jesus, but he said that we might have life in Him. The verse that we took to the Dominican Republic was Galatians 2.20, for I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. That we would have life in his name. We are required, as those who follow Jesus, to some pretty stiff requirements, right? If you're a Christian in this room, you know that we've been talking about Micah 6-8 for a long time. Seek justice, love, mercy, hesed is what that mercy is, and walk humbly with God, right? Well, the first part of that says, He has shown you, O oh man, O oh woman, what is required of you. Jesus says, look, if you're going to abide in me, then you must love the way that I have loved. These are requirements, not options. But the amazing thing about Easter, this fourth Sunday out of seven of Easter, you know, Easter tide, that season that comes between Easter and Pentecost, the central point of this season of Easter is conceiving of what the resurrected Jesus has to do with the way we live our lives. Where is the power for the requirement that God has called us to? Even in the Sermon on the Mount, be perfect as I am perfect. Look, we can't sugarcoat these things. So, so where is it? Today I want to show you two things. I want to just give you the context of this verse, which is Eastertide. And I want to show you two things, that Jesus catches his fish. You can write that down on the top of your first page. Jesus catches his fish. And, and you can put that on your brain. I'll remind it to you. You don't have to write it down. Because really, I don't want you to write something down. I want you to fall down and worship. But Jesus catches his fish and Jesus feeds his sheep. That's what this sermon's about. So what's the context? You see that the context is these first three verses. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, the Jesus that was dead and now is alive, the Jesus that bore the scars that Thomas touched, the Jesus whose back was whipped and bore those scars, that Jesus is alive And that Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, revealed himself in this manner. Now you're going to see in verse 14, the end of our passage, look how this holds together. This one's pretty easy for all of us to see. It says this, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. What is this passage about? You can answer it now. It's about Jesus being revealed and revealed in a specific way, but it's part one of two sermons. That's why Nathan is going to give us the next part next week, verses 15 and following, when he commands Peter and his disciples in turn and us in turn, feed my sheep, tend my sheep. Eastertide is a time when we consider how the resurrected Jesus impacts the way that we depend on Him and the way that His resurrection changes the way we act as His followers. Their Eastertide was different than ours, right? The main difference is that the Holy Spirit had not yet been poured out. That's the thing between Easter, the resurrection of Jesus, and Pentecost, 50 days later, when the Spirit of God is poured out, Peter, James, John, and the four other disciples in this passage had not received the Holy Spirit yet. Listen, resurrection is not commonplace, is it? When was the last time you went to a funeral a memorial service for someone, and as you were standing beside the grave, the ground began to move and squirt around and an arm shot up out of the dirt. Unless you have a story to tell me that I haven't heard from you yet, you have not seen that. To grasp the resurrection and the power of the resurrection is difficult, and the disciples demonstrate that here to us. Peter says to his friends in verse 2, I'm going fishing. We don't really know the extent of what that means, but this is the context in which we see that Jesus catches his fish and Jesus feeds his lambs. He may have said, look, I'm done. I'm checking out. I'm leaving. It is likely that he didn't quit being a disciple, but it is most probable that he was both discouraged and lost in the context of the resurrection, right? He's seen the risen Jesus twice. And a lot of commentators go, why do you think he went fishing if he'd already seen Jesus twice? And I kind of wanted to shake the book that I was reading and going, he saw a resurrected human being. No one sees that. That'll change you. Like that'll, that'll discombobulate your life. But here, we see Peter not knowing what to do along the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And so in the midst of his failure, having denied Christ three times and walked away, he says, look, I'm going fishing. He was a fisherman. It's what he knew. And so he returned to it that night. Today, it's different with us in our Easter time. We're in the middle of that season between Easter and Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has been poured out upon us. Romans 5 tells us that He poured out the Spirit upon us so that we would know the love of God in our hearts that has been, known, been made known to us in Christ. But I still believe that we struggle to grasp How near Jesus is to us. That we struggle to grasp the power of the resurrection in our lives. Why do I think that about you? Because I know it about me. You wanna know the types of things I'm afraid of? I'm afraid of aging, I'm afraid of missing out, I'm afraid I might be addicted to experiences. I often think that this life is all that there is, and so I focus on it. As we look at Jesus who catches his fish and Jesus who feeds his sheep, I want to ask you simply, do you know the resurrected Jesus, the Jesus who is alive? Do you know what he is like how he acts toward you. Not toward us, toward you. The first time he was revealed, he talked about peace and breathing on them, the Spirit, so they'd be empowered to mission. The second time he talks what Nathan told us last week, he draws near to us in our doubt. But this time he is revealed so that we might be convinced that he catches his fish and that he feeds his sheep. Look at verses 4 through 8 with me. Jesus catches his fish. Here we have the resurrected Jesus who returns to the scene, and I won't say of the crime because that's what you think I'm going to say, but to the scene where he called Peter the first time. Do you remember it? It's actually in Luke. And Peter was a fisherman and his partners were James and John, the sons of Zebedee. They ran a fishing business. They got fish, and then they would sell their fish, and that's how they made their money, right? Go back and read Luke nine, Luke 5 this week, and you will see that there was a great crowd one day, and that Jesus comes to Peter, who's cleaning his nets after a long night of work, and he says, Peter, would you mind pushing your boat out into the water? Let me sit on the bow of it, and I'll preach from there. Peter goes, okay, so pushes his boat out, and Jesus preaches. And then after Jesus preaches, he looks at Peter, and we're told that Peter was there cleaning his nets. And Jesus said, I tell you what, if you'll push your boat out a little bit farther, I want you to throw your nets back into the water, and I want you to see if you can catch anything. And Peter looks at Jesus and goes, Jesus, you know, we don't know each other well, but I just cleaned these nets. It took a long time. You preached for a while, Jesus. And, and, and now you're asking me to throw my nets back in the water. And he goes, but because it's you, I'll do it. And so he throws the nets back into the water and they catch such a massive catch of fish that we're told in Luke 5 that their nets began to break and that John and James brought their boat over. They loaded so many fish in both of the boats that the boats were sinking as they came into the land. And Jesus was on Peter's boat and Peter looked at Jesus and he goes, you have to depart from me. It sounds like he said it in some like middle English. But what he said to him was he said, leave me, go away. I'm a sinner. And Jesus looked at Peter and he said, don't fear. Don't fear, Peter. From now on, you're going to catch men and not fish. And Peter and James and John left everything and followed him, Luke 5. Three years passed. Peter witnessed Jesus heal his mother-in-law. Peter walked on water with Jesus. Peter listened to his teaching. In John 6, we remember that Peter is the one who said, when Jesus said, are you also going to leave? And Peter says, where else are we going to go? You've got the words of eternal life. We don't understand what you're saying, but where else are we going to go? And Peter dreamt about the future. But when Peter saw the arrest of Jesus and was not allowed to fight for him, Peter failed. Peter denied Christ three times and he left him alone as his Savior died on the cross. And it is in that context that we see Jesus going to catch his fish. In our verses... They are along the side of the Sea of Galilee, the same place, most likely the same boat that Peter had once had Jesus in. And Peter and the disciples are discombobulated. What do we do? And Peter goes, I'm going fishing. And John uses the image of darkness and light that all night long he fished and caught nothing, right? And then they hear a voice from the shore, and it says, children, have you even caught a morsel? And what do they have to respond? No, they haven't. Fished all night in the darkness and got skunked. Skunked does not mean being sprayed by a skunk. Skunked means caught nothing. Happens to me most of the time that I go fishing. I've tried to fish in the ocean around here. I've been skunked every time with my buddy Jason. In fact, he has stopped inviting me. And Jesus, from the shore, calls out to them. They say no, and he says, I tell you what, I know where the fish are. He says, cast your net on the right side. Again, all night long, the day is breaking. Do you see what John's doing? Darkness, light is coming in to be revealed. He throws out his nets, and what do they do? They have a massive catch. A massive catch. John, the beloved disciple, looks and he says, It's the Lord on the ocean. And Peter, the one who we know has already run to the tomb to try to see Jesus, now hurls himself into the sea, throws himself in. It says that he dressed himself. Look, I guess that Peter could have fished naked, but it's most likely Peter was not fishing naked. Peter was probably fishing with just his shorts and T-shirt on, as it were. But he put on his robe to go and meet Jesus, as would have been formal and polite, and he puts his robe on and he throws himself into the water and he goes toward Jesus. But who has pursued whom? in this passage. It's the resurrected Jesus that pursues His own and catches His own fish, isn't it? Jesus doesn't learn about our sinfulness and our failures. We do. We are the ones who learn that we struggle with doubt and we struggle with belief. And we struggle with following Jesus. We're the ones that learn that. Jesus doesn't learn that. He knows that already about us. And He comes to us. Jesus, as much says in this passage, I'm going to find my friends. They're 75 miles away out of Jerusalem. I'm going to go find them. And when he calls them children, it isn't in a pejorative sense, but in a sense of going, my love for you is like the love that a father has for their own children, like a mother has for her own children. You are that dear to me. Jesus has already prayed to the Father. Not one whom you have given me have I lost. These disciples belong to Jesus Jesus is the first fisher of men, and Jesus catches his fish. Jesus was fishing for his disciples then in Luke 5. He's fishing for his disciples now in our passage, and he is fishing for his disciples now in this room. This is our resurrected Jesus who catches his fish. Do you believe this? The first question in the Heidelberg Catechism is one that we use all the time as we come to the Lord's Supper, right? What is your only comfort in life and in death? My only comfort in life and in death is that I belong body and soul to my faithful Savior, Jesus. That I belong to Him. Jesus catches His fish. Do you rest in this, in the midst of the chaos of your life? The second thing that we see in this passage is that the resurrected Jesus feeds his fish. And this is the end of what we see, so don't worry, there's not a third thing. Look at verses 9 through 14. Remember, it's important to hear what John said in verse 1 that Jesus revealed himself and it was in this way that Jesus revealed himself. How Jesus does it is important to John. Remember, John 20 and 21 is all about post-resurrection encounters with Jesus so that we would understand who he is. As John describes the scene, he says that there were 153 fish that were caught. And you go, that seems a little far-fetched that they would count the fish. Really? If you're a fisherman and you knew how much each one would cost, wouldn't you be stoked to sit there and count the fish that, that as you're dragging this net in? These guys knew exactly what they had caught. But you know what's interesting is that unlike the account in Luke, it says in this account, the net did not tear even though the, account was, the, the count of fish was so large. Jesus had not lost one of his fish. Jesus goes to his friends in that boat who have gone fishing and he says, I haven't lost one of you guys. Not one. Jesus comes after his disciples, these seven, and he comes after Peter. After they had walked away from him, he came and he found them. And now we see Jesus feed his sheep. Remember, it's important that we see Jesus catches his fish and Jesus feeds his sheep because next week our text is filled with imperatives. But they're imperatives based on this reality. What's the first thing we see in Jesus feeding his sheep? Verse 9, we see a charcoal fire. Ding, 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 ding. Does it remind you of? Around what did Peter deny Christ? Around the charcoal fire. We were told that he stood there with the soldiers and warmed himself. But now we see a charcoal fire lit on the edge of the beach by Jesus himself. And it's not just for warming, but on this fire is fish. And this fire is for feeding, for feeding his sheep. He is going to give them food. In the Old Testament, we read Psalm 23. In one of the passages, the Lord is my shepherd, it says, I shall not want. These guys have been up all night working, fishing hard. They were hungry. But because their good shepherd feeds his sheep, they shall not want. He provides for them for a meal. But that meal is the picture of peace. Jesus has proclaimed peace to them in the upper room, but the sharing of a meal in the Bible is the proclamation of peace. After you share a meal with someone, you cannot kill them in a battle. Isn't that amazing? Rahab's entire family was spared in Jericho, rooted right there. But then in verse 10, Jesus goes further. He says, I want you to bring some of what you caught. What did they caught all night long? Nothing. They had caught nothing. When did they catch something? When Jesus told them where to throw their net. They caught all the fish. But what you see in Jesus is just such a gentle way, isn't it? They had not caught anything. But Jesus says, bring some of what you caught. You can hear him say, look, we're in this breakfast together. You bring some fish? I got some fish. Come on in. Listen, it is clear throughout Scripture that salvation is by grace through faith. Absolutely no work of our own. In fact, Paul says in Ephesians 2: not of our works, so that no one would boast. But here we see Jesus saying, even in light of that, I have come and I have pursued you. Your contribution matters. Bring some of your fish to this meal. It's amazing. In verse 12, we hear Jesus say, come, have breakfast. Look, this is a no-brainer for me. Breakfast is my favorite meal. Every time you come to my house in the morning, you're going to get eggs. And with those eggs, you're going to get English muffin. And you can tell me how you want your eggs, but you're not getting out of the breakfast room without eating some eggs. It's an important meal of the day, Nita. (laughs) You guys, Jesus met his disciples and he said, I know what you need and I have what you need. Do you believe that the resurrected Jesus reveals himself to you in this way? Because that's what this passage is about. In verse 12, we also read that they dared not ask him if he was the Lord. They were stunned. Now, look, they knew that he was the Lord, right? It says it right afterward, but they couldn't say it. They were stunned. The resurrection is stunning, We say the Apostles' Creed and it rolls right off our tongues and then we go and we live our lives as if our Savior is not alive. We are overwhelmed with the worries and the concerns of this world as if our Jesus isn't alive. But He's alive. And His life discombobulates ours. You heard it in Ruth's prayer, didn't you? Even in the midst of the suffering and the conflict and the pain of our lives, you make yourself known. They couldn't say anything. You know me as a southerner, I can't avoid the opportunity to say a phrase, right? Growing up as a southerner, what did you always say? What has a cat got your tongue? And I thought to myself, what in the world does that phrase mean? Has the cat got your tongue? And so I went and looked it up. I mean, that's the great thing about Google these days. Nobody has to know anything, and we can all act like geniuses. One of the theories of some several centuries old now is that, has the cat got your tongue referred to sailors who would get beaten on a ship by a cat of nine tails whip? And they would be beaten to such an extent that they wouldn't be able to speak, right? So has the cat got your tongue, the idea? I wondered... Is it possible that the disciples watched Jesus lean over the fire and flip the fish so they wouldn't burn? And they saw the scars of the whips on his back. And they knew his denial. Their denial of him, rather. But Jesus says, come and have breakfast with me. But it doesn't seem like they moved, because verse 13 says this, that Jesus came, that He took bread, and He gave it to them, and so with the fish. That Jesus went even farther. He took the food from the fire and gave it. John says that this is the third way in which Jesus was revealed to them. Easter is a long season in the church because we fool ourselves to think that we understand the power of the resurrection without focusing on the one who lives forever, Jesus Christ, and how he changes everything for us. I don't know if it was Mari who introduced the song to these children this way, but ever since they have sung it a couple months ago, it's been stuck in my head, Jesus, strong and kind. And I just want you to listen to this last verse as I close and as we come to prayer and then come to this table. The song reads like this. Jesus said, if I am lost... He will come to me. He has showed me on that cross that he will come to me. The Lord is good and faithful. He will keep us day and night. We can always run to Jesus. Jesus strong, and kind. Let's pray.